in Tasmania, I have a lot better understanding of what's in season or how to process our food through the year. So it's quite interesting cooking in Tasmania as well. That opens up my eyes as well, how to utilize seasonal produce. Today on Daddy Linen, we are heading to beautiful Tasmania to talk to Chef Mika Che. Mika is the Korean-born chef who's heading up grain of the silos in Launceston. I've had the privilege of eating his food Mika, welcome to Daddy Linen. Hello, Danny. How are you today? I am really good, and I'm just feeling some beautiful Tasmanian vibes today. Tell, tell us about Grain of the Silos and the work that you do there. Yeah, Grain of the Silos is the restaurant uh, supporting local community and small farmers. So we work with so many small farmers to source all the ingredients, what we use here. So basically, what's in the season, we try to get as much as we can and just put everything on the menu, what's available in the season and try to work with local community, having more relationship with them and to make to create better culture in Tasmania as well. What are some of your favorite producers to work with? Oh, it's so many to be honest at the moment. Uh, we have two main producers for vegetables, which is Seven Spring Farm from near Cradle Mountain and First Farm. Uh, they, are, they are small producers. However, their quality of the produce is exceptional. They are all organic and chemical free. And their selection of the vegetables are not as many as like compared to Melbourne. However, when it's available, the quality is exceptional. And also recently we were hunting for local beef to use on our restaurant menu. And recently we found a couple of more small beef farmers, which is Glentory Farm in Vineyard and Tasmanian Agriculture Company in Deloraine. And also Somali Farm, which is grow, uh, raising beautiful black cow beef, which is near a uh, restaurant, just half an hour away from the restaurant. So it's really good to use the beef around the restaurant. When I came to Grain of the Silos for the Agricultured Festival, um, we were really privileged to eat the Summerlee farm beef and even to visit the farm. So we did a series of um, podcasts with those producers or in the area that you use there. And, um, yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes so that people can um, catch up on those. But, uh, I mean, what I understood from Summerlee is that, you know, Massimo Mele, who um, founded the restaurant there, really had to campaign to get some of their beef into into the kitchen. It's so sought after. It's such a small production. It feels like you've got to have these really, I guess, trusting relationships with those small farmers in, in that northern part of Tassie. Yes, absolutely. So, for example... Like for the beef they cut, a lot of people like scotch fillet or sirloin, but from the small farmers, they only produce certain amount of beef. So we can't just order, hey, I want like six scotch fillet this week, not like this. So we have to buy whole carcass or half carcass or hind quarter. So to utilize them, we have to use all part of beefs. So when beef comes in, our project starts, okay, this part goes into sausage, this part goes into, we make some air-dried beef and then some prime cow with the steaks and some mince, some of them we mince them, we can make some meatballs as well. So it's more fun, like more approaching to food. It's like a, a lot more work, but a lot more happening. And then that comes to the final dish and then 
there's basically more story behind the dish, not only the food, also with farmers as well. Yeah, it's um, it's so resonant and so connected. I mean, is tell I'd love to understand what took you there. Was it this connection with produce? Were you hungering for for that? Um, yeah, closer to the land approach. Yes. So when I was in Melbourne, I was I already had a huge curiosity about Tasmanian produce. Also, some native produce like pepperberry on pepper Tasmanian pepper leaf, and also I heard about so many things about uh, local produce in Tasmania. So, similar to Tasmania in Korea, there is an island called Jeju Island. So that's also like a separate island, similar to Tasmania, a lot smaller. But a lot of chefs going there to find out or to study ingredients or the new culture of the cooking so i opened my eyes to tasmania or maybe i should go there to study more about the food not only dishes the food and the background of the to understand about how is the food chain over there so so far i'm having really good fun and also the stuff i'm finding is actually a lot more than i expected so every day something's coming new so i learn so much new things every on daily basis so it's really great opportunity to learn and study. Mm, I love that about food. There's always so much to learn. Um, yeah, it's just interesting every single day. So Mika, tell us about, I feel like we're telling your story backwards because I want to know about, you know, um, what took you from Korea to Australia. But let's talk about your time in Melbourne. Um, tell us about some of the places you worked at and, and your experiences. Yeah, uh, I, I came into Australia in, in 2013, right after finishing my military service. So like every Korean man had to, most of them had to go compulsory military service for 21 months. So one day I was looking at the sky and then airplanes flying around and then, oh, maybe after military service, I want to go somewhere. Then uh, I want to have experience in the bigger world. And then I look around and then, oh, just... Let's try Australia. At that time, Australia was very popular as a working holiday. So I just came here without any planning. <laughs> so I arrived here and then started like a pizza delivery or kitchen hand first two, three months. And then I got a job in St. Kilda called Riva St. Kilda. Then I started washing dishes and then experiencing a little bit about kitchen. And then after that, I studied, I studied like cooking because that was the first time I worked in the kitchen. And then I started studying at William English for two years for the course, hospitality. And then after that, I wanted to stay more in Australia and then I got sponsored there and then spent, I think, three more years to get permanent PR. So after I get PR, I moved to Cesar restaurant in the city. There was a Middle Eastern restaurant. There was a big turning point on my cooking learning process. I learned so much to new things, new techniques, or I got to see new, new type of food. And that period was, uh, I was very hungry for learning. So I worked full time five days, but I was still want to learn more. So one day I went to Matilda 159 and then had dinner over there and the food was just phenomenal. So I was so curious, how do they make that? I want to learn that as well. So I just asked them, is it okay I come a couple of days to learn like a stagy? And then, 
yeah, I did five days work and then two days study to learn more things for six weeks. There was a hard period, and, but it was very worth time for in my career. And after that, after finishing my study period, I wanted to do something more. So I had a good friend. His name is Kim, who is chef at James at the moment. So we are good friends. We always talk about food together. And then, uh, let's try pop-up restaurant. I'm really keen on to doing that. So we start planning and then prepare around about for five months to do our first pop-up. So the concept was uh, Korean-influenced cuisine. So we did our first pop-up in 2019, November. And then, of course, we planned everything. We worked so hard to make it happen. And then our first pop-up finally happened. And then, actually, it was a very good day, but it wasn't perfect. It wasn't as smooth as we thought. There are a lot of a lot more challenges. <laughs> it was not easy to be honest. And then after the first pop up, everyone was happy. It was we were we had very good experience. And then, but this was actually we could have done better. So let's plan second one. And then we worked two or three months later. And then we did second pop up. And then second pop up was a lot more organized. Everything was much better planning. So. The service went really well. First pop-up was, for me, it was like a pop-up. But second one was very close to the restaurant service on that time. So after that second pop-up, we were quite happy and satisfied. And then we, are, we made an improvement in three months' time. So there was a great turning point as well. And then, you know, the COVID happened and then lockdown, the restaurant closed. So my restaurant was closed on that in the time. So I still have to survive. I was, <clears throat> and then I was looking for a job and then I got a job offer in butcher shop. So this is another completely different experience, what I used to do. But still that time, <clears throat> I had not much choices to work in the restaurant. So I worked in butcher shop and learned some butchery and then that time pre-made meals were very popular during the lockdown time so i was working at butcher shop and then that time i got an opportunity to work at arika which was my dream kitchen for a long time i think i applied three or four times at arika last few years before i got the job but that time i didn't have proper visa to work there so finally i got my visa done and when the opportunity came in, I started working at Arika and then that period was like unreal. Everything was, every day was so much learning. Wow, you really packed so much in, Mika. Um, I want to I, I wanna learn about your time at Attica, uh, but just tracking back to the pop-ups and your work with Kim, and, and I love what he's doing at James. It's such interesting food with, you know, a lot of Korean techniques, but, a, but Australian ingredients. I think it's very interesting. So were, were your pop-ups, um, were they a sort of Korean expression or uh, was it a, a different influences coming into them? Uh, our concept was... Uh uh, Australian modern dining, but we had a with touch of Korean influence. So it's very uh, dish is quite similar to James now. So we want to do some cool stuff, but every single course we want to have some Korean color in there. So what they've done there, 
we made some we had some pork chop like bok chop pork chop and then marinate with gochujang and then finish on the charcoal that was really good dish as well and that time we were thinking there were not many korean modern korean restaurant in melbourne back that time so we wanted to try how is the market will be we are we also have a curiosity of is korean food going to be popular because we really that's what that's our like next that was our next goal in like five years time so i wanted to check the market how is the Korean, how people will react with korean food and then when the korean food korean dishes twisted in australian way is people going to like it or people going to hate it or they feel more interested about food about our dishes but overall people were very excited and interested and i could see a lot of <coughs> a lot of people keen on what we are doing it so there was a really fun actually yeah <laughs> Um, so cool. I think, you know, the non-Koreans in Australia have generally have so much to learn about Korean food. I know that I'm learning, uh, you know, every time I eat something Korean, it's like understanding more about the subtleties and the different styles of food and but also sensing a frustration from um, many Korean chefs is, you know, this this desire to expand the Australian idea of Korean food, like beyond barbecue, beyond fried chicken, to just um, to understand the the enormous breadth and the great variety of influences that, that come to play on this cuisine. Yes, absolutely. And also we had a quite interesting approach to the Korean food because both Kim and myself, we have never worked in the Korean restaurant. Both of us, we arrived in Australia and we learned cooking here. So our pretty much our cooking style is very Australian or we learn French, Italian techniques. But actually we have never cooked Korean food properly. We do cook at home, but not as good as like Korean chefs. So our cooking style, we even if we do Korean food, it's not, I don't think it's more authentic. It's more like a Australian dish made by Australian. However, we are grown up in Korea, in Korea. So we have better understanding of what, how flavor should be like. So we are aiming to find the flavor, to reach the flavor, what we want it, and then still want to create as a, when you look at the dish, oh, this is not like, not Korean dishes, still like a, one of the restaurants when you go to Melbourne, that kind of similar dishes. So that was our approach to our dishes on the pop-up. I, re I remember chatting to um, Sangsu Kim from James about that, exactly as you say, that culinary journey where he cooked at pubs, he cooked a lot of Mediterranean food. Um, and then when he wanted to bring uh, the, you know, the Korean food that he remembered into it, it was almost like reaching back into a dream to find this, um, these flavors that he knew so well. But yeah, as you say, you know, you, you weren't trained in cooking those. Yes. <laughs> It was quite interesting. Then we, and then we found out that time, oh, actually, we are not very good at Korean food, so <laughs> let's study a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so tell me about Attica, Mika, because were you, did you join Attica in lockdown, like while they were doing um, takeaway, uh, yeah, while it was all about takeaway? Yeah, I just uh, joined Attica uh, during the lockdown. So I worked uh, during lockdown around three months and then Luckily, lockdown finished and then I work another 
five months, five or six months at, at a, as a normal trading. But during the lockdown, I, I think I've, I was very lucky that I joined during lockdown because I got to see so many different things what's happening in there. So in one restaurant, this article was still doing like a lot of takeaways, lasagna, all beautiful dishes and lots of cakes. But at the same time, they still offer the full tasting menu takeaway. So I had an opportunity to see so many different things, such as a short period of time. Yeah, that's so amazing. And so was it, um, was it from Attica that you went to Tassie or was there something in between? So lockdown finished and I worked another five months at Arica and that time I was looking at Tasmania and then I got an opportunity to work at Grain of Salos, so I moved on. So it was such a hard decision because Arica was a restaurant I've been dreaming about so many, so long time. But that time is more like uh, my personal life that that time I was in Melbourne like I'm not sure, eight or nine years and then I sort of wanted to experience something new. Like for example, on my day off, like if I want to go somewhere, I look at the map and then that period is like, oh, I've been there, I've been there. Like I want to go somewhere new, but there's not much place to go somewhere new or even the restaurant. Oh, I've tried there, I've tried there. So that period of time, I was really looking for something new to refresh my life. So Mika, you went from Attica to Tasmania. Like, how do you see your career progressing? Do you do you still want to bring some of these Korean ideas into the food you're presenting in Australia? Yeah, absolutely. Because that that could be my strong part of my one of my cooking scene. Because I I grown up in Korea, so that's my soul food. So. I know the flavor. I just need to find out the way to present that flavor in Australia. What are what are some things that you feel Australians don't understand about Korean food? Uh, in general, I think when Korean food becomes very authentic, it, there is a variances of what people's preferences. So, for example, uh, kimchi. For example, kimchi. If you make a really traditional, authentic kimchi, of course, that can be amazing. But however, it can, it could be, for some people, it could be really strong or it could be too much for some people. So if it turn into, we modify a little bit to make what, how, what people like. So that's the thing, that's the hospitality. So we need to give what people like to eat. So recently, <clears throat> I made a kimchi at, at Grain with garlic scapes. So last year, I made a kimchi with Ferris Farm Wombok, which is really beautiful Wombok. Then <clears throat> I made a fish sauce in the house as well. So we made a kimchi. It was very popular. A lot of people liked it, but at the same time, I could see a lot of people were not big fan of that. And then this year, I was thinking I wanted to try something different. So. This year I had a lot of a lot of garlic scapes from three different farmers. So one week I had like I think twenty kilo garlic scapes coming from everywhere. So that week I just pickle everything. So everything goes into the jar. I was thinking maybe I'll use for during winter when there is not much produces. So about a couple of months ago I opened one jar and then try something new and then 
I made a kimchi paste, which is the uh, same way of the making normal kimchi with one bok. However, the garlic scapes is not natural. Instead of doing natural fermentation, it, the garlic scapes is from pickle. So still have similar texture, but it's a little bit sweeter than normal kimchi and less sour. But when you eat the garlic scapes kimchi, it tastes like, still tastes like kimchi, but it's a lot more naturalized neutralized in flavor wise so this kimchi is very popular at the moment and i could see there's more demand compared to the original kimchi that i made last year um and maker what sort of dishes would you serve that with uh i put that on the side as a side so they can select side of kimchi on add-on but i always put with pork forky farm pork chop so you tried that pork chop last time when you came in for Meet the Producer Night. So we do get uh, two pork loin and two pork belly every month. So Forky Farm is one of our producer artisan who's using buckshot pig to make air-dried pork for us. And then sometimes they do have excess pork. So I do get the fresh pork for us so when the pork comes in i just put them on the special menu and then i serve with kimchi because buckshot pork pig is a little bit fattier than usual pig so that kimchi cut it through really well with that pork uh my mouth is watering hearing you talk about that i went to a special lunch at fork at farm and uh experienced they're beautiful pork there as well. Um, it, the, the lunch was a, a pig's head lunch. So it was three courses, all different part of, parts of the pig's head culminating in this roasted pig's head. Um, uh, it was, yes, as you say, like it's quite rich, but so much flavour and to be, you know, on this free range farm where you can see the pigs living their happy lives. Um, it's really, really special. Uh, I, I think, you know, as you're talking, as you're talking about, you know, having all these garlic scapes and you know that connection with produce, a Korean food is so frugal. Like it really makes the most of everything, and so much of that preserving is about, you know, yeah, as you said, you know, having food for winter. It, it feels that when you're working with producers as closely as you are, that Korean food is actually very aligned. The, the Korean kitchen makes sense in that context. Yes, absolutely. So I. In Tasmania, I have a lot better understanding of what's in season or how to process our food through the year. So, for example, Wombok, like uh, in my, when I was in Melbourne, Wombok was available through the whole year because Melbourne has a, such a good good city to utilize or uh, use all the ingredients through the whole year because they have better access. However, in Tasmania, it's, <clears throat> things are very limited. So, traditionally, kimchi in korea we make uh right before winter because the one book the first one book will come will be coming out just in the time so traditionally we make kimchi with one book which got first frost just right before winter because that's the best the one book is the best flavor and texture to make kimchi so when I went to Tasmania, I didn't see one book through the whole year. And then right before winter, Fels Farm called me and then, oh, we got some one book, first one book. Would you like to get some? And then 
Yes, absolutely. And then I got one book. And then I was thinking, yeah, actually, this is exactly like Korea. Right before winter, I got the one book which has got first four tip. And then I make kimchi on that week through the whole winter season. So it's very similar way or similar approach the way we cook in Korea. So it's quite interesting cooking in Tasmania as well. That opens up my eyes as well, how to utilize uh, seasonal produce. Mm, that's so cool. Absolutely love that. Um, so Mika, t tell us about food in Korea. You know, I know that you didn't work uh, in food, but what was, well, tell us about, you know, the food when you were growing up, what place did food have in your, in your household and in your life? Yeah, my hometown is called Gwangju, which is the south part of Korea. So that province is well known for good food, actually, very good food. So everything is tasty. But the one special thing in my hometown is we do get a lot of side dishes still. So, for example, if you order a bowl of soup and rice, if you order in Korea, you will get probably five side dishes to come with. But in my hometown, you should be able to get like 15 different side dishes with uh, just one serve of rice and soup. So I get to chance lots of different types of vegetables, some seasonal vegetables on the side. And then also in Korea, there are lots of street food in everywhere. So there's street food. I think the street food, I really like street food in general. But in Australia, I don't see many street, Korean street food because I think Korean food is not very popular like Japanese or Vietnamese yet. But however, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure in the future, there'll be an uh, industry or there'll be a demand from people who like <clears throat> that kind of street food. And then someone just, if someone make it well in Australia, I think there will be really great opportunity to meet more food like unseen uh, Korean food in Australia. Well, I will certainly line up for it. So <laughs> what street food would you love to see here? Uh, definitely. In Korea, when you go to the near the sea area, so there are a lot of... Um, Barbecue. When you think about Korean barbecue, you will think about pork belly or a pork or beef barbecue. However, in Korea, the seafood barbecue is very popular. So you will get to see there are like 10, 20 different types of shellfish. They're all alive. They're just coming out from the water. And then you put on the charcoal and then you just people just sit down on the street and then have seafood barbecue with shellfish. Shellfish barbecue, I would say. And some really good seafood, abalone and prawns. So you don't have to get a restaurant to have that seafood. You just easily can sit down like a temporary shop on the street and then can enjoy like beautiful seafood on the charcoal with again, 20 different side dishes. That type of food is my sole Korean food. Uh, I am happy to make that my soul food as well. That sounds so good, Mika. Please at least do that as a pop-up one day. I would really, I will fly anywhere for that.
one day see if our shellfish barbecue <laughs> yeah it would be amazing it would be amazing to do that in tassie yes absolutely so yeah tasmania also have a we have beautiful seafood in tasmania when it's in season so yeah like a couple of months ago the beautiful clam from george's bay came to our restaurant and then we were lucky to use that clam but again, in Tasmania, very seasonality. We only get got a chance once a year that beautiful clam. Then, but definitely at the moment we use mussel from East Coast Fresnian Marine Farm. They are also really beautiful mussel, to be honest. So, yeah, definitely I have enough ingredient to do that. So I'm looking forward to do that kind of meal as well. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, Mika, so fantastic to catch up with you to learn more about your career and your approach to food. Um, really, thank you so much for sharing with us today on Dirty Linen. Thank you so much, Danny. It's my pleasure to be in part of here. I look forward to eating your food again soon. Yeah, please come. <laughs> this is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.